people, we're not even halfway through the year yet, and we already might have, like, at least for me, the 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 best, most engaging, just like visually enthralling movie event of the year. I am joined once again by Luke of Luke Reviews, longtime friend and collaborator of the show. Luke, I mean, do you have any words to say about this movie before we get started, or do you just want to dive or rather swing right in? I'm I'm just glad that in this vast multiverse we exist in a universe where this movie exists and potentially the trilogy soon will exist. Oh man. No 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 better words could have been spoken possibly. All of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV podcast. going on people welcome back to yet another episode of the talking tv podcast i'm not podcasting from my normal location today i am actually it's kind of hard to tell because location but i'm actually broadcasting directly from the talking tv studios i might i might have a uh, chris Ivanko hop on at some point in a little bit if he's not busy but luke first and foremost man just what, what what a great time to be alive right now you know it's funny i saw i saw you i saw an instagram post that you made i believe it was like possibly the day after this movie came out, something along the lines of the between this and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think this proves James Gunn's point that um, it's, it's not superhero fatigue that we're suffering from. It is simply a creative fatigue because after such disappointing efforts earlier this year, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, like Shazam, Fury of the Gods, you know, we were worried. We were like, oh no, is this it for superhero movies? You know, you know they're not guaranteed hits at the box office anymore. And then between Guardians of the Galaxy 3 two weekends ago, which was James Gunn's swan song, that was James Gunn's goodbye to the MCU, we were like, okay, like, can they still keep this going? Like, is this it? Is the genre finally run out of steam? Is it finally going the way of the Western, the way that Steven Spielberg has predicted so many times? And I think it's safe to say that with this movie, nah, this, this shit ain't going anywhere, you know? Absolutely not. Uh, just seeing the amount of not discourse, but just amount that that this movie's being covered on all the social media platforms. Everyone's watching it. It's gone fully mainstream outside of the the film community sphere. Everyone's seeing it. it's it's making like three times it, its opening that it was for the first film, which just goes to show how much people have. Uh, gravitated towards the first one since its release because we didn't know how good it was going to be it's just like an wow. animated spider-man movie okay um and yeah like and it feels good to have a movie that you know it's going to be good and then it's even better than you would think it was going to be absolutely absolutely i mean just just taking the, the the movie stuff outside of it two statistics that i wanted to point out you're right because when the first one came out the first one came out in a time where let's say we were a little crowded with spider-man content wise you know it was it was it came out in christmas of 2018 one year earlier we'd seen the return of spider-man in live action form for his solo efforts right because we first got spider-man back in live action with the, with tom holland's entr entrance into the mcu in captain america civil war in may of 2016 two years after the Amazing Spider-Man 2, where we thought that we'd have to say goodbye to the character forever after Sony neglected to bring back Andrew Garfield's film franchise for a third time. Then one year later, after Civil War, we get his return, his first solo, Tom Holland's first solo effort in live action, Homecoming. And then in 2019, one year after Into the Spider-Verse, you get two big Spider-Man efforts. Not only do you get the sequel to Homecoming, uh, Far From Home, which is not only a sequel to Far From Home, but also occurs after the events of Tom Holland's Spider-Man in which he participates in the in Infinity War and Endgame. But also, you get the PS4 uh, Spider-Man game, which was a uh, massive, massive... That was massive, 2018, I think. That was 2018? Okay, so... Yeah, October 2018, I think. So, so you're proving my point. Like, Into the Spider-Verse comes out in the middle of, like, a little bit of a crowded time for just for Spider-Man content, you know? It's, it's never been a better time to be a Spider-Man fan. But needless to say, it's like... There was a little bit, I feel like, of worry in the air, especially because I know for a fact that I'm not as big on the Tom Holland movies as a lot of other people are. And they're like, are we getting a little bit too much Spider-Man content? And then you have this animated Spider-Man movie. It's the first Spider-Man 
uh, what's it called, solo thing that we've gotten surrounding Miles Morales, where this is the first time that we're actually getting something where Peter Parker is not the main character. Miles Morales is, you know, Miles Morales having been, having popped up quite a bit over the last couple of years, developed a little bit of a fan following. I remember there was a big rumor circulating while I was in high school, specifically while Community was going on, that Donald Glover would be would play Miles Morales in live-action format. Then the years went on, you know, he kind of aged out of that part. And so... Into the Spider-Verse, I feel like the biggest thing that trailer had going for it was the animation, the look of that movie. It's like, wow, we had never really seen anything before this. And But with each trailer, you know, the worrisome came in because what was always the biggest thing that kind of tanked the Spider-Man live-action movies? Oh, no, too many villains, you know? And now you have an animated movie where, while despite looking cool, you have six Spider-Men in it. You're like, what? what, what is happening? You know, cause first it's Miles Morales, then they add Peter B. Parker in the next trailer. Then it's Spider-Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Then it's they add, like, the Spider-Man Noir and, and Penny Parker and Peter Porker, a.k.a. Spider-Ham. And you're like, what, what, what the hell is going on here, you know? And the movie comes out, and needless to say, I think it blows away all of our expectations, you know? This is just, like, something unlike that we've ever seen. I mean, it, it's an origin story. It's hitting all of the familiar beats, but this, the movie's just got a freshness about it that is just unlike anything that, that that just felt so raw and so palpable and just so creative. And it's funny because as much as people are praising these movies, I feel like they're leaving out two essential names to the success of these movies, and that's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And the problem is that these guys in the last, like, really, like, eight to nine years have only worked on, like, a couple of projects. And so, as a result, it feels like the mainstreamness of those two names and, like, why those two names are so important has kind of not evaporated, but it is a kind of, it's not at the forefront of the public conscious. And so, when these guys put out an effort, it's always, like, a refreshing surprise that something they put out is good. I can't tell if that's by design or not, but whatever the case is, Lord and Miller are two guys that have proved that, like, Every single time they touch something, it turns to gold, you know, from resurrecting a, a a generic cop TV franchise as two of arguably the funniest comedies of that of that comedy boom of the late 2000s, early 2010s. Then with their efforts into animation and just showing how far they can push the medium, first with the Lego movie, then obviously with Into the Spider-Verse. Don't forget like, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Chance of Meatballs, right, where they first make their stamp. That's not, That's just as important as well. But an interesting thing happens where in the late 2010s, they land Solo, they land Star Wars, and then are the latest set of directors fired, brought on by Kathleen Kennedy and then fired by them. And I still think of all of the missed opportunities that we had from the late 2000s, 2010s, that one's one of the biggest and most egregious offenses because, um, I mean... I mean, if there were any people that I would have trusted to make a solo Han Solo movie, pun intended, it would have been those two. And I still think that replacing them with Han with Ron Howard, who turned that movie into probably one of the most generic, like unfaithful movies that I've ever seen, is just ridiculous and insane. So, like I said, we we don't we don't see their name attached to anything for a few years. You know, they 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 help write the script for the second Lego movie, but they don't direct it. And that movie, I don't think, is as good as the first one. And so they they make the announcement a couple of years ago, right? I don't remember if it was in late 2019 or 2020, right around, but at some point, like, the way that Into the Spider-Verse ends, you can kind of get the sense that, that that there's going to be a sequel, but also with the way that that movie ended, you're also like, I wouldn't mind if it was just one movie, you know, maybe I don't want to ruin the effect, you know, this movie was pretty special just in general, you know, why, why would you want to ruin that? And uh, what's it called? Derpy, I, I couldn't agree more. We're going to get to that. Just you wait. And so then the announcement comes out that, the, there are going to be not one, but two sequels to Into the Spider-Verse. It's going to be Across the Spider-Verse Parts 1 and 2. But then, it's it's so funny because Mac and I were literally talking about this back in April when we were talking about our end of the summer, you know, you know our, su our summer series preview. You know, this is the, late, the next installment in our summer series. You know, our return of the movies this summer. It is officially like we're, we're, th we're three, four movies in now, you know, between this Guardians of the Galaxy and Fast X. We took a little bit of a break from Little Mermaid last week, but Little Mermaid is still doing pretty good numbers. It was good, I thought. I saw uh, it. I am still continuing with my boycott of any live-action Disney movies. Fair um, and so they, so they state that Across the Spider-Verse is going to be two parts. And I'm like, I see the part one and two, and I, my, immediate, my mind immediately goes, Ugh. but it's almost like they're reading my mind, and it's almost like they're seeing the trend of like, okay, parts one and twos of movies. That's like instant kryptonite. So they make the decision to retitle the third installment from Across the Spider-Verse Part 2 to Beyond the Spider-Verse. So now that they do the Infinity War Endgame thing, where Endgame was originally going to be Infinity War Part 1. Best decision they could have made to me was to rename it Endgame. Then, 
right? And so, so this movie across Spider-Verse was originally supposed to come out last year. They delay both movies. You know, this one is delayed to this past weekend this year. And then the next movie is delayed to March of next year. And then that first trailer comes out and you're just like, oh, we're back. Like you don't even like before you even see any instance of like, like, like the spider society or whatever, whatever the hell that big conglomeration of spider people uh is you you're already you already just get the sense of like just seeing miles and gwen back together just seeing the insane chemistry that shimmick Moore and Haley steinfeld had just in animated format you're just like oh oh hell yeah we're back you know and that's before we even get into the plot that's before we even get into the story and all that i'm going to say in order to give an example of just like the effect that this movie is already having not even like two days into its release three days it is release i should say is that i saw this movie in the IMAX theater and at the AMC in Times Square in New York City. And holy crap, this was the first movie that I have ever been to where I could say, no, nah, this was not a video. This was not a movie. This was a sporting event. Like I, when I tell you the biggest crowd, the biggest packed theater going the most, this made the crowd reaction to just a regular MCU movie look amateur. This makes the reaction to Infinity War and Endgame look absolutely amateurish like this is th this was easily the most engaged that this to me luke you we we've, we've been asking we've been going back and forth as to whether movies have been back and i can officially say that this movie proves that movies are back for sure indeed the movies have been they've been very i think they've been back for a while but this 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 absolutely puts a stamp on it i, I i'm glad that your crowd was seemingly as good as mine oh yeah uh, mine was very energetic to the levels of an endgame screening uh but but they were the loudest when the movie ended and the title card came up I, that that has never happened before that's right. how you know it was a very good movie and the people the loved and it. also i would also like to mention no post credits no mid credits no post credits that the, the, you have the cut to credits on the cliffhanger ending which we will get to as far as how this movie has got to be probably the best mic drop cliffhanger ending i've seen probably since infinity war and i swear my audience was going absolutely batshit with, with the with the reactions like probably some of the best oh my gods and fuck yes and just going nuts with cheering like just the easter eggs alone it was like oh my god like it, it was really like a sporting event like and, there was and, one and guy then, in like the lower row who was just like yeah <laughs> every anytime something big happened he was just absolutely going nuts uh, and, and it's funny too because i was resisting it i was resisting it for as much as i possibly could and then finally by the end i'm like i couldn't resist it anymore i was like i was laughing with them i was cheering with them i was going oh shit by them you know that and i will say this is the first movie that i probably seen this entire year that visibly made me go holy shit like with just some straight unexpected reactions like i this is one of the first movies in a long time i did not look up uh, after like the first trailer i want to say i didn't watch like like the first main trailer i should say uh i didn't watch any trailers i didn't look up any spoilers on facebook or twitter or reddit i i didn't read the plot beforehand like i had it i was cold going into this movie i had zero expectations zero read on this at all and i was very very thoroughly surprised to say the least so with that being said, we should probably get into what this movie is actually about. So this movie picks up, I believe it says about 16 months after the events of End of the Spider-Verse. And the movie picks up with an, a little bit of an interesting note where the movie actually starts not with Miles Morales, but with Gwen Stacy after the events of End of the Spider-Verse, where she's back in her home dimension. A little bit more context, a little bit more insight into the quick flashback uh, intro that we got for her in the first movie where it's revealed that the Peter Parker of her dimension in an attempt to, uh, you know, be a superhero like her accidentally created the lizard formula and became the lizard of her dimension and then died in a tragic accident, which unfortunately, of course, caused the you know, often cited dispute between her and the police captain of her universe, who's revealed to be her father, voiced, I think, rather underratedly so by Shea Wiggum. We're going to talk about all the celebrity voiceovers that they get for these movies. And I, I think that of all of them, I think Shea Wiggum as her dad, Captain George Stacy, might be the most underrated. So she responds to a call that is revealed to be uh, of the vulture, but not you know her vulture it's it's a vulture from a renaissance dimension meaning that unfortunately they the the particle collider that opens to the multiverse from the last one unfortunately may not have closed the way that they thought uh she is helped out by two other spider people from a dimension miguel o'hara aka spider-man 2099 who we met at the end of the last one in the post credit scene voiced by oscar isaac and jessica drew it's the very same one exactly jessica drew voiced by uh aka spider woman voiced by Issa ray 
And due to the events that happen there, they give they give her a temporary membership into their spider society before it cuts to Miles Morales back on what has proven to be Earth 1610. I was a little bit tickled by that. Just a gigantic fan of the Ultimate Verse. I, I, I really, really appreciated that. You know, the Earth 1610 insert there. And it shows Miles Morales uh, in his new duties protecting Brooklyn and just the greater overall city as the only Spider-Man in his universe. Uh, before he runs into a, new, into a new villain, the Spot, who is revealed to be a scientist. I don't remember his name, but uh, one of the scientists from the last one who was accidentally caught in the particle collider uh, being closed. Uh, I, I think the Spot starts out as a very funny villain. You know, he's kind of like an accidental villain. He's not trying to be. He's simply trying to survive, given the circumstances of his surrounding. I think he's voiced incredibly well by Jason Schwartzman. Again, another there's, there's incredible... There's some great banter about, like, you know, he's just a villain of the week. And just a villain and of the week. Like... Again, some some more great uh, commentary. I love the callback. It's, it's a very funny one. movie, I think. Yes, yes, but but intentionally so. We'll get to that. Uh, it's very, very... Uh, what's it called? He, it, it's very, very funny in the beginning. And that is before uh, Miles reunites with Gwen. And you can see Miles is kind of doing the typical Spider-Man thing where he's having a hard time, like, you know, keeping the secret from his parents, you know, maintaining his kid life in addition to his superhero life. You know, he, he works well with his dad as Spider-Man. But it, again, he's late to stuff all the time. He's trying to make time for his parents, but he just can't, you know. He's starting to wonder, like, okay, like, how am I, how am I going to work this out? You know, he's in the middle of his angsty teen phase. He's 15. Also, the fact that, like, his first, like, real crush uh, appeared in his life at a very seminal moment and then just disappeared. And now he's like, and then all of a sudden Gwen says he pops up, you know, they go, they fight the spot. And all of a sudden he realized, and all of a sudden, you know, she disappears through a portal after uh, the spot starts, uh, figures out how to travel to other dimensions and start to absorb other energy from other Alcatrax colliders across other dimensions. So naturally Miles follows and we get our first Real introduction into the multiverse. Now, granted, we only travel to, I believe, it's two or three other dimensions. But, I mean, just off the bat, I mean, the movie plot-wise, interesting, interestingly enough, again, very similar to the first one, I am amazed at, despite how much stuff they are able to throw in, how many Easter eggs, they manage to keep the plot very streamlined. And very simple. Luke, like, like, how do they do this? I'm constantly in awe. How do they pull this off? Keeping the story simple enough for people to stay engaged with. You just got to look at Lord and Miller. They, they're they very smart in the way they uh, approach their movies. They're very creative in their writing. You've, we've seen this in the Lego movie, how creative and meta they can be. Uh, we saw it with the first Spider-Verse, of course, uh, which was a more compact story, let's say. Uh, and this one, I guess they just were given a lot more uh, budget or free reign. They got two movies to tell a story. Like I, I thought the first movie was like like an experiment. Like, hey, let's see if this animated Spider-Man thing works. And now they can get to like maybe the real story that they really want to tell. That that's too big for one movie. They said so. They make two two parts. Of course, it was part one, part two. Then it was renamed. Uh, it doesn't part one just doesn't look as neat on, it on a poster. It really doesn't, especially with um, the amount of part ones that we've been getting recently that have kind of been but, like, for me at least, like ruining the movies in general because it always leaves but, off on a cliffhanger. But it's like, oh, but there's more story to tell, you know? Yeah, but but this cliffhanger, we'll, we'll get to the cliffhanger. Why? Yeah, why, okay, we'll get to the so cliffhanger. Good. But uh, I don't know. They they're just very smart people. It's it's not just them. There's there's one other guy right. I can tell you who who it well, is. Well, there's a couple. Um, so they, they they wrote the script with David Callahan and then we also have to give credit to the uh the the directing team as well. But this is a different directing team from the first one as well. Uh the first one it was directed by uh uh Peter Ramsey, um what's it called? Rodney Rothman and then Bobby Perichetti. And this one is directed actually by uh two well-known uh, directors. So Justin K Thompson who is a first-timer, but then we have Joaquin Dos Santos who directed several episodes of uh Avatar The Legend of Korra, and Kemp Powers, who famously uh, wrote the script for uh, Soul and One Night in Miami uh, as well back in 2020. So this is a different creative team. I think it's a more distinct creative team. This movie's definitely, I feel like, got more of a voice in a weird way than the first one. I mean, the first one already was given credit enough alone for just, like, giving New York City, I feel like, more of an identity than we'd seen in the last couple of Spider-Man uh, movies. But this movie, oh, my God, it just takes it up a level. Like, I felt like I was – this is an animated movie, and I said this to everyone. I'm like, this is the most alive-feeling animated movie that I've ever seen. Just the Brooklyn segments in the beginning. And, and besides the fact that I've been living in Brooklyn now for the past nine months, it's like there, there were moments in that movie where just, like, again, like, the feel of it, like the rooftop barbecues, the Williamsburg Bridge, the bodegas, just, like, the look and feel of it it just felt so 
Brooklyn and so alive. And I'm just like, that is absolutely nuts. And that's before we even get into the animation alone, which is like, holy hell. So like the cool thing about the first one is that the first one, the 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 detail that people always give it credit for, and rightfully so, is that it incorporated the actual animated style into the storytelling and the arcs of the characters in a way that no other animated movie really, to me, has done before in the sense of, famously, you know, you have the scene from the first one where Peter B. Parker is teaching Miles how to swing on a, on a, on a web for the first time in the forest as they're escaping from the as they're escaping from the from the facility. And you have and, and the render rate for my, the rate at which Miles is rendered is slower than Peter. I think it's like a couple of frames smaller. And it's half as many frames. Right. And then th- and then throughout the movie, you've got like him catching up to Peter frame wise in order to show his growth as a character. And that and that, and the, the fact that they put like that much detail into it alone shows now it's been five years since that movie. And they they really put the work in in terms of like up in the animation because like, just from the opening scene and besides the fact that like you know, the, the, the quick cutting style might be a little jarring for some people, but they manage to do it in a way that always makes the story feel flowing and consistent. But like, just the way that they look at it, you know, and rather than just doing like rotoscoping 2D animation on top of 3D animated graphics, they have like, they layer it so well to make it look like it's a moving oil pastel painting. And I don't quite know how they pull that off, but it's one of those situations where I'm like, I have no idea how they did this. And that makes me want to like f- see like the behind the scenes of this even more. You know, I feel like it's going to be between this and the animated Ninja Turtles movie that's coming out in August as far as just like really pushing the the envelope in terms of what animation is capable of. But like just for the animated feature category alone of the Oscars, I already see that this has no competition, like just to me. Yeah, maybe like the Hayao Miyazaki movie, but. But this Maybe, is just but... an absolute juggernaut. Like wrap it up. I think the third one, if it's as good as we all hope it is, that should get absolutely nominated for best picture. Like, I thought the first one should have been nominated for I best agree. picture. I agree. Uh, I, I think well, this one should be nominated for Batman. I, I think so as well. I don't think it will. Like, like maybe, if maybe they'll return to the king. It and, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying that, like, even if, like, like, if we're just taking like from the trajectory as well, like, comparing this because besides that, like you said, it, the way that this one wraps up in terms of how it's setting up for the third one, like, um, I, I'll say that this is probably like the, this could be the next great movie trilogy. Not notice those words there. Not animated movie trilogy. Movie trilogy. You know, because this middle installment, this was your Empire Strikes Back. This was your Dark Knight. This was your Winter Soldier, you know, like I, I, I said it before. I'm like, this to me is the best superhero, direct superhero sequel since Dark Knight and Winter Soldier in terms of just taking the character we were familiar with, upping the stakes in a way that was just completely unknown, leaving the characters in a very, very dark spot that they're going to have to figure their way out of and just really uh, just for me, at least like surpassing the first movie in, in every way. Like Luke, I don't know if you feel this way, but this to me is better than like, sur- I'm, and this is not to detract from the first one at all, because this one wouldn't exist without the first one. But like this movie to me is better than the first one in all in that it improves upon it in almost every single way. Yeah. I just want to mention one more thing about the animation, like how, how I would uh, sum it up. Like they, they, do the standard like okay character goes there characters there and then they just keep adding stuff like i'm like like what what makes you think to add that and it works so well or if you go frame by frame you just see the colors completely invert and it just looks amazing when it's all played out um i don't know they it was like a team of a thousand people to make these two films yeah. so and unlike yeah, marvel I, that VFX sounds like artists, a lot. They- well, unlike Marvel VFX artists, they're clearly, you know, actually paid well to make this look good because wow, wowzers. And, and, like, and one just... more thing I saw Elemental has a budget of 200 million and this has a budget of 100 million. I'm like, that's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's absolutely bad. Cause especially cause like considering that Elemental just looks like the same generic like Pixar garbage that like we've seen for the last couple of movies, you know, the typical like, like how bad is it when, when Pixar who used to be a pioneer of animation is starting to look stale while, while Sony animation can still put out like, can still put out like efforts and like Lord Miller have talked about it, you know, it can be like a little intimidating given that they've kind of become like the new, like pioneers of animation. But like, I mean, come on, like the, the work speaks for itself, you know? I mean, you're the guys that consistently top yourself time and time again, you know? Look at what they did with Lego Movie, and then with the first one, and now with this one. I can only imagine, I mean, now granted, we only have to wait, like, 
s- like seven to eight months for the next one. But still, like you can only imagine what new tricks they're going to pull out of that, pull out of their hat for for the third one beyond the Spider Verse. You know. Well, yeah, I, uh, to go back to if is this is uh, better than the first one? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, initially, I thought, oh yeah, it's, it's about as good and a little right. better. But now having having it marinate in my mind for a few days, I have. Uh, thought that it, it is better I, it will take a few rewatches to really cement its place in my in my favorite movies but uh i think and then part three is going to improve it even more substantially oh, yeah. uh yeah like i said the first one was experiment and now they get to really let loose on what they yeah. wanted to do now, now they get to cook and, and oh man the results speak for themselves so i wanted to get into the characters a little bit you know because again this is like the, the one of the joys of this movie is not just the animation it's the characters like i said we see a return of not every single face you know like i said we got miles back we got gwen back we got miles parents back who i think have an even bigger and more crucial role in this movie you know even though his uncle mile uh his uncle aaron davis aka the prowler from the first one is dead he still is very clearly haunting Miles in every single one of his actions, you know, in the Uncle Ben part. And then we have all the new characters that we meet in this movie. You know, Peter B. Parker returns back for a little bit near the end. But like I said, we have all the new uh, characters. And there's a, while there are a lot of new characters, you know, the, the, the primary ones, I'd say, are the Spot, who's the new antagonist. And then, like I said, the kind of the two ringleaders of the Spider Society, you know, that being uh, Miguel O'Hara and Jessica Drew. You know, and we, we, we got a couple of other funny inserts as well. I particularly enjoyed Andy Samberg's voiceover role as uh, Ben Riley, a.k.a., uh, you know, the Scarlet Spider and just you know how he was playing up like the emotional angst of the you know re- really get mine into like you know the, that early 2000s uh reign of just like you know the, the the hero standing on the edge of the rooftop in total darkness looking out in angst i thought that was a bit of nickelback in the and, and then nickelback starts playing i thought that was particularly enter- entertaining as well but what's interesting like i said is once you actually enter the Spider-Verse, you know, and you start to see, like, first they go to, like, Spider-Man uh, Mumbatton, I believe is what they call that very interesting uh, mix-up of, uh, you know, Mumbai and, and Manhattan, you know, I, I thought that was particularly funny, you know, we get two new uh, additions to, like, their little spider crew. you know, we have um, Spider-Man India, p- voiced by Karen Sony, aka Dopinder from Deadpool 2, and then we have uh, p- uh, Spider-Punk, uh, aka Holby Brown, voiced by Daniel Kaluuya, I, in, in a very interesting and fun uh, voiceover role, he really, it's so funny because Daniel Kaluuya's been playing American for so long now that he finally gets to rock the South London for a little bit, and, it, and it's so glorious hearing it, especially trying to hear Miles like potentially have a competitor for Gwen Stacy's heart, and then like just trying to understand and and and, and, and decipher the, the the very heavy South London accent, which I thought was very in- engaging. And basically, so they travel to Spider-Man India and to to Manhattan, and then they are brought to the Spider Society. I believe it is what Earth 902, 928, I think is the. I don't. Is, you don't ask me the numbers. I just, yeah, there, there's there's so many there's so many dimensions that they travel to. It's too much to keep track of. But basically, once he meets the Spider Society and meets Miguel O'Hara, he is introduced. We 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 hear this term in the movie and it's so funny because when I heard it I had a feeling I ha- I knew what it was going to be especially given that this is the third major movie that we've had now that really deals with like a multiverse level event you know you first had it in No Way Home which was fun but really in hindsight No Way Home was really just an excuse to like you know got a little flashback a little nostalgia to just the history of Spider-Man in live action you know you get all the villains back you get Toby and Andrew for the first time in live action since 2014 and 2007 respectively and that's fun and cute then you get Really, the true multiverse movie that really sets up and shows like what a multiverse level story is capable of, which we thought was going to be the next Marvel movie with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but ends up being last picture, last year's Best Picture winner, everything, everywhere, all at once, which has since garnered a... I'm not going to say a problematic history, but it kind of unfortunately went the way of what happens when a little movie picks up a lot of steam and then ends up winning Best Picture. You know, it kind of ends up being a little bit too mainstream. You know, the backlash ends up coming out against it. And while I will say that that movie probably did an excellent job in terms of like really showing mainstream audiences what it's like to like see the multiverse, like what that's capable of. And so now that we have audiences that are largely familiar with the multiverse and with multiverse level storytelling, you can really get into that and really start to play around with that. And so what you have here is you have the character of Miguel O'Hara, who is kind of like the ringleader of this whole thing, but you can tell he's like the no-nonsense leader of it. He's not a Spider-Man that cracks jokes. You can tell that he's like every Spider-Man. That's the thing that, that there is this thing that ties all of the Spider-Man across all of the dimensions together, which is that every single one of them have been through what is called a canon event, which is revealed to be the death of a loved one. Every single Spider-Man has to go through the necessary death of a loved one. For Miles, it was it was uh, Aaron Davis. For Gwen, it was the death of her Peter Parker. 
you know, and, and, and there's literally a scene where in hologram form, he shows like a line of like all the different Spider-Man that have gone through it. You got like a couple of, a lot of Easter eggs, you know, you got a quick Andrew Garfield insert as well. You have like a, you have a quick Toby insert. Like I said, they, they, they are really tying in together everything Spider-Man wise, you know, like I said, a couple of other Easter eggs, you get the Spider-Man insert from the video game. You get the animated spectacular Spider-Man from the Disney show, which I know a couple of us were big fans of as well. So you get all of that. And basically what Miles realizes, what basically what happens is that while on India trying to stop the spot, Miles Miles unintentionally or rather intentionally saves um, Spider-Man India's uncle, which was supposed to be his canon event. And Miguel reveals that because of his disruption of that canon event, he may have caused a chain that may cause the entire multiverse to unravel. That's usually what it comes down to is trying to prevent an event that will cause the multiverse to unravel. You know, I feel like Loki was the first one that really introduced this, you know, obviously with the with the variant of Kang that we met at the end of that show, the 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 he who remains character, you know, where he says, You can kill me, but you're gonna unleash every other variant of me that I've worked so hard to contain back onto it. And I and I like the idea of those stakes because it because in, in, in a genre that is consistently being criticized for its lack of stakes because of the grander, uh larger than life storytelling that happens, it's interesting to see the different ways in which they can still introduce stakes. So in this case, being that, okay, if you do this one level, this one event that can, that may benefit yourself and may save somebody in the moment, you may cause the, you may risk the collapse of everything, you know, of reality itself. And that is essentially what is presented to miles because miles realizes that, um, while he has already gone through his own version of a canon event, um, the, 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 the spot, uh, you know, in terms of wanting to gain revenge on him, has already stated that he is going to take from him everything that he loves. Uh, that being so, so Miles believes that the spot is going to go after his dad, and Miguel believes that this, is, that this, that that Miles stopping the spot from killing his dad will disrupt the entire multiverse. Now, this, this of course brings up a little bit of, of flaws as far as like, okay, like, are we sure Miguel knows? You know, because Miguel has gone through his own version. You know, he tra Miguel is revealed to have traveled to another version of his universe. Uh, where where his variant, if you want to call it, died. So he tried to, uh, you know, take the spot of, uh, pun intended, that he tried to take his variant spot. That didn't end up working out. He ended up losing his entire family twice. And so, like I said, you have this dilemma that results in probably one of the greatest and most entertaining chases. So before before we Absolutely. get to like, yeah, what, what it actually results in, Luke, what, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the, the multiversal struggles, the multiversal stakes that are set up here, you know? Yeah, I think, people also have been wondering is there a multiverse fatigue i'm like no if you if you, not, can, not tell, you can tell the story in an engaging and good way multiverse is a is a great setting to use uh but really the this and the first movie it doesn't really it's not the multiverse that's the really interesting part it's it's still a very grounded story about miles going against the mold doing his own thing he, he says that exact line in the movie uh, the first one is about like discovering himself, not trying to be another Peter Parker, be Miles Morales. This one is uh, standing against the Spider-Man canon, as we as we might call it, uh, uh, just not not letting others uh, choose his his destiny, make make his own path. Um, and yeah, there's no bigger stakes than the entirety of the multiverse. And right, uh, we get to the when we get to the end of the movie, those are the biggest stakes of all. They really like, are. They really like, are. Because, just, like, I, I, and I love, like, the dynamic that that sets up for with the characters because you have, like, Miles, like, not only going up against a bunch of spider people that he's never met before that, you know, it, it's a typical thing of, like, you know, oh, meeting somebody who's supposed to be, like, this great respected leader, but then it turns out that it's, like, Miles is not going to jive with them because they're leaders that, like, have had to make the hard choices and therefore are not necessarily the most likable of characters. And naturally, like I said, that's going to go because Miles' whole thing is that, like, yeah, he goes against the mold. He does his own thing. He, he always saves everybody and saves the day, but he's not going to go against his own core beliefs and principles. He's not going to let his loved ones die just for the sake of the multiverse, especially given that he is already able to quickly find and poke holes in Miguel's theory of canon events, or at least Gwen is able to, you know, like I said, we've been talking a lot about Miles, but Gwen here, I would argue, is just as important a character in this movie as Miles, especially considering that I think the one of the reasons, you know, we uh, one of the other things that people were talking about going into this movie is this is the longest American animated film ever made. I believe it sits squarely at two hours and 17 minutes, and it uses every single minute of screen time there. 
And part of the reason for that is because this is just as much a Gwen Stacy movie, arguably if not more than that, than it is a Miles Morales movie because the entire opening scene is her and the entire opening scene is necessary fodder because it's Gwen that ultimately realizes that Miguel is not intentionally full of shit, but is but is wrong about the idea of canon events potentially being that disruptive to the multiverse because and she because she ultimately is thrust into this precarious position where she ultimately has to choose between Miles, who she very clearly has feelings for, versus her allegiance to the Spider Society, who kind of take her in and give her a place to go when she's at her lowest. You know, her dad, uh, you know, has been in, in her dimension has been hot on the trail of Spider Man ever since the death of her Peter Parker, and and when she reveals her identity to him at a crucial moment. Uh, he almost places her under arrest, not knowing how to feel. So when she reunites with him at the end, when she is kicked out of the Spider Society for helping Miles, she runs into her dad, who's revealed that he quits the police force, being in this very precarious moral position of having to choose between wanting to do the right thing, supposedly for the murder of his Peter Parker, and like and like loving his daughter. It's it's it, again like this movie hits. Like, like, I thought that the emotional beats that the first movie hit were already, like, hard-hitting enough, but this movie hits so close to home in so many different ways, and, like, every single moment you think it's gonna give you a break, it gut punches you again, like, over and over again, like, first, like, there, there's a horrific revelation that Miguel makes a, a near the end of the chase when Miles is right about to escape from the spider dimension, and then it goes to the Gwen moment and the reunion with her dad, and then it gets the ending, which, I mean, oh my god, you wanna talk about a mic drop ending right there, just, like, the, the ending, like, I literally felt like I, I couldn't walk when I was leaving this theater. I felt overstimulated. I just felt, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's two types of cliffhangers that you can have that are good. There's there's many types, that, but I think there's there's two that are good. There's one that's the, like the pure shock. You didn't expect that at all, like the Infinity War. Like, you mm -hmm. did not expect to have the characters ju just die. And like, what? What happens next? And, and right. but you, Where do then we go you from have here? The, but then you have the one where it just completely hypes you up for what's about to come, and this was that second one. Fast X, I don't think it falls in nah, either of those. Nah, unfortunately, like, Fast X kind of falls into the, oh yeah, we're just gonna throw out a cliffhanger here because we can, and it's like, no, you, you could've wrapped this up. Like, we, 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 we're we familiar with this. We know what the, where this is gonna go. Like, come on. But yeah, this one, it, 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 it absolutely sets up the next movie. It We see the returning characters from the first movie, uh, including Spider-Man Noir, who still has one of the, the greatest lines in fiction. We Absolutely. don't pick the ballroom. We just dance. Yeah, the ballroom. We just dance. It's oh that's, man, that's incredible. Yeah, I, uh, I think probably like like not not the ending scene, but the but not the end not the ending sequence, but the ending scene where mm -hmm. it shows Gwen going to look for Miles in in the multiverse with with the whole team, the whole team from the first one and the new additions that we met in this one, like with Spider Punk, with Spider Man India, with uh, Spider Bite, the the Amanda Stenberg character, the virtual reality one. I was just like, oh, let's go. You know, I was already like, you know, like screw the Avengers. Th this is my new team that that I can't wait to see operate because, I mean. Well, well, first things first, like I said, I feel like there's two major spoilers now that we got to hit. And and I will say now, like, I know we, we've been talking a lot about the plot of this movie, but if you do not, not want to get spoiled about how this movie ends, I would say tune out now because these two moments are about to be hit because they they directly tie into each other and they directly set up for the, for, for the third one. So I'm giving you guys one last chance. If you do not want to get spoiled about the ending, look away. So you have the first major revelation, which is near the end of the chase, you know, in, in, in the main... Uh, spider spider society verse, you know, where the, you know, spy miles being pursued by every single Spider-Man. And we get like every possible Easter egg. We got a spider cat. We get a spider T-Rex. We get a spider gu uh, gunslinger on a horse. We, we got every possible iteration of Spider-Man that you could think of is chasing miles. And it ends with the main confrontation with Miguel, who is basically trying, and Miguel reveals that miles is the original aberration because the spider that bit miles was not originally from his universe. And he basically reveals that if Miles had never been bitten, none of everything would have happened. He never would have, his Peter Parker never would have died. There never would have been a, you know, the particle collider incident never would have opened. He never would, the, the spot never would have been created. And this whole mess that they're in never would have happened. So you have that revelation. And, and that's already a pretty gut punch thing to begin with because you already have Miles who already is insecure enough to begin with about his place as Spider-Man just because of how, you know, it happened. And now you have Miguel giving him this horrific revelation, basically confirming it's like, yeah, everything that you're thinking, you're right. You weren't supposed to be Spider-Man. You know, you are, you're, you know, you're an accident. And so that happens. But then that then that, that plays into the the whole story. Like, right. I, I wasn't supposed to be here, but I am anyway. So right. I'm just gonna roll exactly. With it. So, so like it plays Kung Fu Panda. 
Exactly. Just, it plays into this story beats in terms of like again, just like you know, the the, the it, it makes Miles even more sympathetic. You know, as the and okay, now he's even more of an unexpected hero than he was. And then it goes into the ending, and you're like, okay, Miles is back. He's in his apartment. He had this heartbreaking moment with his mom where he was trying to, you know, tell his mom before that he was Spider-Man. And he finally gets the courage to tell her. And she does not at all have the reaction that you would think she does. But she's like, who's Spider-Man? And he's like, wait, what? Like, are you, are you messing around? Like, what, what, what's going on here? And then Uncle Aaron walks in. And then he starts glitching out. And then he remembers what Miguel said. He's like, oh. He's like, because basically, when when back in the spider dimension, when he gets into the machine that's set to send him back to his own dimension, they have their own machine that, like, once they capture aberrations that end up in the wrong dimension, right, well, going back to the vulture at the beginning, they send them back to the dimension which they came from. And the problem is that it read the DNA of the spider that bit him, and the spider that bit him was not his dimension. So he is sent back to not his dimension, which is Earth-1610, but the original dimension that the spider came from that bit him, that being Earth-42 where he discovers that in that universe, his father is dead, his uncle, Aaron Davis, is very much alive, and because there was no spider to bite his version of Miles Morales, his ver uh, in that universe, that version of Miles Morales is the Prowler, and his voice, in a very surprised cameo by Jarrell Jerome, I thought it was Shamik Moore voicing both generations of Miles. No, it's not. It's Jarrell Jerome, which wow. blew my mind. I saw that. I'm like, holy crap, that's insane. And the, the the way they build up to it, like, like they don't reveal it until, like, he glitches out. Because the whole thing is that, you know, when you're not in your own dimension, you start to glitch out. Like, like, like a computer glitch. And, I mean, just the, just that alone. With, with the, with the build-up, with the revelation, the return of the Daniel Pemberton Prowler score. Which was just such a memorable track from the first one. Just how terrifying it was. And, like, I mean, I mean just the, the score in general alone and the soundtrack. Already gangbusters enough for the first one, and somehow they top that in this one. And I'm just like, my jaw is on the floor in terms of holy hell. Like, because, like, Gwen assembles the team, you know, Miguel and Jess have their eyes on Miles' apartment waiting for him to show up. But, uh, what's it called? But, but they, uh, but, you know, but obviously Miles is not in that dimension. So once Gwen realizes that Miles is not in that dimension, she assembles the spider team and they go into the multiverse in order to try and find him. But, like, Oh my God! You want to talk about the mic drop of all mic drop endings? The, the like I said, the Empire Strikes Back, the Dark Knight of the Soul ending, and in order to quote screenwriting, like it doesn't get much better than this for me. You know where you have Miles literally fighting an evil version of himself, which so much of the time has been criticized because it's done so lazily. But here, because of the way that it is utilized within the story, like it all comes back to the story, and it is just it, it's masterful. It, it is masterful to me. I think I think one thing you forgot to mention that that because that spider got moved to original Miles's universe, that universe has no Spider-Man. So right, it, it's crime-ridden. There was mention of a, a Sinister Six cartel on the TV. I mean, I you see it when he goes outside to the city when he sees like the 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 the, the spray-painted uh, picture of a, of his dad on the mural. You see like multiple buildings that are labeled with like different criminals. Like, like different Spider-Man criminals. I think something says like a Scorpion tech or like a Vulture tech or like a Kingpin tech or something like that. So that means that you know that we're getting like a society of supervillains in the next one, which we already got the Sinister Six. So now obviously they have to up that, which I can, I'm already I'm already tantalized with like the, the, the thought of like an entire army of Spider-Man supervillains, which is something that we've never gotten in any format before, at least for Spider-Man. Yeah, no, the, the ending was just incredible. I did not see that coming at all. Like, like when his mom mentioned, what, are, what do you do to your hair? I'm like, oh, that's, that's weird. Okay, but whatever. Yeah. But then she says, like, uh, who's Spider-Man? I'm like, oh, it's weird. Like, and then he glitches and his uncle is there. And this, then it was like, not a sound in the theater. Yes. Everyone's just completely... Oh, yours shock. was silent. Mine was my. I heard a couple of visible. Oh shit! It, it, it might have been a, a like, couple of very vocal ones. I don't know. I guess us Latvians aren't as vocal that's as fair. Uh, that's fair as over there. But uh, oh yes, no, it, it was just incredible. It, I was more so waiting. Like, okay, when is this gonna end? I know it, it's a longer movie, but like, where's the ending? Yeah, it just kept going. It kept going. I'm like, okay, and then that hit, and then the music started building up, and you knew, like, okay, this yeah. is where it goes. And then you have Miles trying to play himself off as like being that universe's Miles that he gets hit. And and I couldn't tell at which point I figured it out. I don't know if it was when he got hit, because as soon as he gets hit, it cuts back to Gwen talking to that Miles parents back on Earth 1610. And then it shows him tied to the duffel bag. And then you see 
And then, you know, him him trying to convince Aaron. He's like, you know, you're the prowler in my universe, but you were good. You just did bad things. And he's like, I'm not the prowler. And then you see, like, him throw the glove. And you see him standing at the rafters. And that's when I realized. I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, shit. And then he, like, talks to his evil self. And he's like, you got to let me go home. And he's like, why? And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, oh, I, I wanted to lose it. I, it was all that I could to keep myself controlled there. I was just like, this is, I'm like, how are they doing this? I'm like, how? I'm like, this is this is absolutely insane. Like I said, this is for for everybody in Hollywood, everybody that is like scratching their heads, trying to figure out what it is that audience members want from their movies. This, this is what we want. Not exactly this. So I'm not saying to get a bunch of movies that rip this movie off, which is what we probably will get, but just storytelling to this level. Storytelling that is thoughtful. Storytelling that is surprising. Storytelling that takes risks. Storytelling that takes concepts that we are familiar with and adds them and adds new layers and adds new depth to them and doesn't try to, you know, mock audiences members and try and make them feel stupid for liking certain things, you know? Audience uh, content that respects, you know, the, 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 where where it originates from, you know? That is what we want from our movies and from our content in general. Luke, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's that that that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. It just look, looking at this, I'm like, why can't more things be like this? Why, yeah. why can't we get more IP, big animation? But we are getting with, like, uh, Turtles later in the year. That's so. true. We're getting it with Turtles. Maybe. Like I said, we're, we're, we're getting a lot of good stuff. You know, like I said, we, we got a new Transformers movie coming out next weekend that finally seems to be taking the the, the few good things that happened from the Bay movies. You know, I, I know we love the Bay movies, but in terms of, like, what other people love about the Bay movies and, and what worked about Bumblebee in terms of, like, a testing ground, they seem to be mixing that well. You know, The Flash, the more and more that I hear about it, I'm like, okay, well, I don't think it's going to be the greatest movie ever made. Like, you know, there's some good stuff. Like I said, when I say the movies are back, I don't mean that, like, quality-wise they're back. I mean that in the sense of where they're finally starting to, like, take risks and start to be a little bit, uh, you know, more creative and actually be like fun again, you know, because I feel like that's the biggest thing that's been missing from movies of the last couple of years, you know, besides the fact that we've been riddled with COVID. It's the fact that movies are starting to finally feel fun and engaging again. And this movie takes all of that and just, jumps it up to the next level. Like I said, the animation is spectacular off the off the chain. The characters, both old, both returning and new that we get, are incredible. The the, the stakes are arguably the highest that they've ever been. And uh I mean just this is the voiceover cast. You know, like I said, Shamik Moore returning as Miles, Haley Steinfeld as as Spider Gwen, uh Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker, uh Brian Tyree Henry, and I think like uh Lauren Velez, aka uh, Maria LaGuerta from Dexter, I think gets even more to do and arguably is even more important uh in term in terms of Miles' life uh in this one than his dad is uh as as his parents uh, uh Jeff and Rio Morales. Um what's it called? Then like I said, you have the new voiceover towns. Like I said, Oscar Isaac as uh Miguel, uh Issa Rae as Jessica, Jason Schwartzman as the spot, um Andy Samberg with his fun little cameo, uh Karen Sony, Daniel Kaluuya, and um and like I said, the surprise return of Mahershala Ali as Aaron Davis the Prowler. Spectacular voiceover cast. Like I said, they, they, they managed to take already the, the massive amount of voiceover that they had from the first one and up it. Uh, I can't wait to see Nicolas Cage, John Mulaney back for part three, as well as all of the new uh, people that they get. It, it's it's going to be insane, Luke. Look, what, 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 are your, what, the, what, what are your thoughts just in general about all of that? Like I said, the animation, the cast, the storytelling, the stakes, and just like what, and like sum up like what it is that for me, at least this is the best movie that I've seen so far of the year without a doubt. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. It's my first five-star movie of the year as yes. well. Uh, yes. I think it will remain. So can it be, can it remain top? That That's my question. Cause I think yes. there's a few things I would definitely challenge it. Um, I'm just, I'm just glad it exists. I'm glad people are creative enough and Sony is able to make a movie like this. Cause if, if Spider-Man was with Disney, they, they would never make no, this. They, like, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take a like, risk like this. I'll, I'll take, Seven more BSs for one Spider Verse, like yes, like I, I said, this, I say this all the time, but I th with DC and Marvel, but I think Sony can be compared to DC. Uh, Sony have lower lows than Marvel, but they also have higher highs. Like, yes, I agree. This, this is the example. Uh, yes, I and we have more projects in development. A live action Miles Morales movie was just. Yes, uh, we we uh, we have two announced. live action Sony properties coming out this year with uh w w later this year and into next with with Craven the Hunter and then with uh with uh what's it called with with the live action Madam Web movie we've got uh, like you said the live action Miles Morales movie I believe they are also working on a Venom three 
unfortunately, you know, so and, and oh God, I hope not, but I believe in Morbius too. There's also several spinoffs that they have been working on as well for for these movies but yeah no it's i i definitely say that well you're i i could the, the comparison to dc i think is is very very spot on because uh oh my god pun intended all these puns that are killing me today but <laughs> with um what's it called with in terms of like you said they're they're low they have a lot of lows that are lower than marvel but their highs are again it, it's the idea of they, they take risks, which is something the Marvel hasn't done in a while, and, and that's what we give them credit for. I couldn't agree with you more. Five stars for this movie. This is the number one movie of the year. For me, like, there's only a few movies that are going to come closest. Like I said, in terms of the animation front, it's really just Ninja Turtles, Elemental, looks generic. Wish looks fine. Um, the, you know, you have the Nimona movie that's coming out on Netflix that should be fun. But in terms of just, like, animation for the rest of the year, like, this is it. Like, this this not only is the standard and next to beat, year. but this... <laughs> and next and year. next year. And next year, right? But also, this movie just, like, in terms of just, like, shattering the expectation. Like, this is another, like, this, this is so much more than just another movie. This is a game changer. Like, this, like, this was the template, right? And this just, like, shattered through it and broke it. And like th this is the new bar to cross for me in terms of quality. Um, so yeah, like I said, five star movie, my first five stars of uh 2023. And in terms of what can top it, I mean, it's Oppenheimer and it's Oppenheimer, Dune, and Killers of the Flower Moon, and 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 that's it. Like I don't I don't see anything else other than like a surprise out of nowhere movie coming close to this for sure. So yeah, five stars for me. Um, again, just I I said this at the end of my letterbox review. Bravo, bravo to the entire team for making us wait and making this movie as satisfying and awesome as it was. Did not see this coming. Was not expecting like I was expecting to enjoy this movie a lot. Was not expecting to love it the way that I do. So with that being said, Luke, thanks once again for coming on. This was uh what's it called another great time. Uh, we'll have you back on next week for Transformers: Rise of the Beasts, continuing with summer season. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Uh, they can follow me at Luke underscore reviews on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, summer's coming up. Exams are ending. So hopefully some more videos can be put out. Uh, hopefully, maybe next year, we'll be seeing this in my top 10 movies of the year video. Hopefully up there. Uh, to, to, to your list of movies that can top it, I would add uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 to my list. Who knows? Maybe that'll have a, a multiversal cliffhanger. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, All these Part 1s that are coming out. Uh, it, but uh yeah thanks for having me on we'll see you again next week with Transformers. We'll, we'll, we'll see if Transformers I, I, I suspect it won't be as good as i, it is, I suspect but, uh, that it will not be as well beloved as this movie but hopefully if they, like i said you know how much of a fan of, of the bayverse we are you know michael bay is back as a producer on this one even though he's not a even though he is uh not a director and you know i i've been re-watching all of the bay movies in preparation for this i've so far i've hit uh i, I watched the first one last year so far i've hit revenge of the fall and dark of the moon and age of extinction so i just have the last night left to watch i'm gonna skip bumblebee because bumblebee i'm just not that big of a fan of but you know it's been it's certainly been interesting going down memory lane in terms of all of the uh all the movies that uh all, all of the, the bay movies but luke thanks again uh, for coming on this is an absolute blast of course be sure to follow myself with everything going on at movie nerd reviews across all platforms be sure to follow the official talking tv podcast across all platforms thanks derpy for coming on and commenting it has been quite a minute but yes unfortunately we do have to wait eight months until uh beyond the spider verse uh comes out like i said be sure to follow the official talking tv podcast across all platforms subscribe to us on youtube follow us on twitch this episode will be available tomorrow to listen to on spotify and Apple Podcasts, and as always, people, for myself and Luke, 12 seasons in a short film, and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time.